Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. Today I am super, super excited to announce um, that I have a pretty famous guest on the podcast. Um, Today I had the pleasure of interviewing Jill Winger from the Prairie Homestead and um, we talked all about sourdough. She gave me some great tips um, about how to make my loaves hopefully a little less gummy in the future. And then we also did kind of get a little bit philosophical and talk about just what homesteading is to us and why we got into it. And then we do talk about her new book that is coming out in September. So I hope you enjoy um, this interview as much as I did. Hello and welcome to season two of the Girly Homesteader podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a girly homesteader living in Xenia, Ohio, with my husband, chickens, bees, and garden. This is my second year homesteading, and in 2023, I am hoping to hone some of the skills I learned in 2022, specifically in the garden and kitchen. This podcast is meant to be a bridge between nature-centered homesteading and the more girly aspects of being a woman, like non-toxic skincare, makeup, and hair care. So if you're looking for a lifestyle podcast that also talks about random aspects of homestead life, like dirty chicken feet, being attacked by bees, monthly garden goals, food preservation ideas, and sourdough that doesn't always rise, you're in the right place and you've found a girlfriend in homesteading. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by all my favorite clean beauty brands like Beauty Counter, Coco Kind, Acure Beauty, Ilia, and many more. Yes, I did create this podcast as a way to share my journey through homesteading, but I also wanted it to be a place where we can still be girls. Because if you're like me, you probably like makeup, but also love chickens. You probably like skincare, but also love gardening, and you probably like feeling pretty despite the potentially dirty world of homesteading that we live in. This is exactly why I created this show. I mean, it is called the Girly Homesteader Podcast. It's meant to be a bridge between nature-centered homesteading and the girlier aspects of your life. So if you text me the word samples to 937-821-5565, that will be a direct line of contact between you and me to help you find your perfect products. We'll text back and forth to figure out your skin type, and then I'll send you risk-free samples based on your routine and product preferences. I'll put my phone number in the show notes, but again, if you text the word samples to 937-821-5565, we'll become clean beauty buddies and get you started on your best homesteading self ever. All right. Well, hi, everyone. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing someone that you, you're you probably familiar with, but I have Jill Winger here from the Prairie Homestead. Um, we are going to be talking about sourdough today, and I hope, Jill, that you can help me <laughs> with some of my problems that I have with it. Um, so for those people who might not know who you are, um, can you introduce yourself for us? 
Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me, Laura. I'm super excited to talk about this. I'll do my best to troubleshoot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my name is Jill Winger. I have been blogging about homesteading since 2010. So I'm kind of one of the OG homestead bloggers in the space. My blog's The Prairie Homestead, and it's kind of morphed into the years into a podcast. And we've done some YouTube videos and social media presence. And so really, my passion is just teaching old-fashioned skills and, how, and helping people weave those into their modern lives, not necessarily going like full off-grid or doing anything extreme, but I just want people to see the benefits benefits of um, some of those timeless practices. So that's what I'm all about. All right. Well, so how long have you been baking sourdough? So I actually started um, a, like very early in my homestead journey. So I think I think it was 2011, 2010. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, a website called Ganofgalins. Did you ever run into that website? I have not. No. Okay. It was, she was also one of the really cornerstones of the whole foods movement back in the early days. I feel like such an old lady talking about this stuff. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, her name's Wardy Harmon. She's still around, but she was so brilliant at teaching. And she was really one of the first people online who started teaching courses on sourdough or cheese making or fermenting. And so I ran in the circles with her and uh, she had a sourdough course. And so I grabbed it because it was like the only, some of the only sourdough information online at the time. Like now it's everywhere and back then it was very oh, yeah. elusive and it felt like secretive. And so I grabbed her course and it was very much, um, if I recall, I think it was a lot of whole wheat flour. So it was teaching you like that ideal, you know, you're going to have a fresh ground flour and it's going to be sour and sourdough and you're never going to use commercial yeast. And so I started it and honestly, absolute disaster. Like I bombed it so bad. And like my husband would be like, please don't make any more bread because <laughs> it's so bad. I totally been going through that. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and so I put it away. I shelved it for many years. Um, honestly, even as I was getting into my cookbooks, my cookbook came out in 2019. I was just starting to rediscover it. So I had like a sourdough starter recipe in my cookbook, but that was still, I felt like I was still very much in that rediscovery phase even then. So it's been the last few years where I've revived it and actually finally, I wouldn't say figured it out because I'm still learning, but I can actually make sourdough bread now consistently that tastes good. So Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's, a long that's story. what I'm trying to work up to. Okay. Yeah. So have you had your same starter since then? Um, no, no. I have killed and restarted it many, many times. <laughs> so no, I don't have the same starter. Uh yet. yeah. It's been many iterations. Okay. Yeah. I've had my same starter since November. I tried doing it myself, like making my own. Well, no, I take that back. I bought some dehydrated starter from someone and I just couldn't get it to go. And I don't know, but then I ended up borrowing what well, I'm borrowing, but adopting yes, <laughs> some adopting. starter yep, from yep. someone that I know here. And I've been able to keep that alive, but my bread has just never been reliably good. Okay. I, I don't know. I, um, my issue is gumminess. Mm. And I don't know if it's because I have too much water okay. or not. I I don't know. I know the starter is strong. It definitely is because at about the six hour mark, it'll probably, it over doubles in size. So like, well, I know fun. the starter is strong, but my loaves, they just seem kind of dense and okay. gummy inside. What type of flour are you using for your loaves primarily? I'm just using white bread flour because I don't want okay. to experiment with anything else because those seem to be harder for yes. at least from what I've read and heard. Yes. 
So yeah, okay. I think you're on the right track because you have the two, the two big things you're waiting, you're cooking with it, baking with it in that proper stage of active, right? A lot of people are uh-huh. like, it's not moving at all. They're like, I'm going to bake bread. I'm like, no, no, no. It has to bubble. So you're doing it. You're doing yeah. that. And you're using the white flour, which, you know, in a perfect world, I love freshly ground whole wheat, but like you said, it is different. There's a learning mm-hmm. curve there. So I think you, you have the two big things crossed off your list when you are doing your bulk rises and af- and your shaped rises, are are you getting movement in the dough? Is it like, is it growing substantially? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I will. Okay. So here's something <laughs> I have only ever once done true, like stretching and folding for my kneading. I have been very, very okay. stubborn and I'm using my mixer. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah. And I know that's like a sin. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, I have better luck with my hands just cause I've I, well, I'm like neurotic about, it. I can't feel like, I can't feel it. I don't know where it's at. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand what's uh-huh. happening, but I know people do use mixers. So I don't think it's wrong. I think it's just learning what the different benchmarks are in whatever yeah. mixing you're doing, whether it's your hand or a machine. Okay. How, when you're mixing it, is it super gummy? Like kind of walk me through your process of the loaves that you're making right now. Um, so right now, like the, the loaf that I just made last week, um, it, I used 100 grams of starter and I know that's kind of high, but in my head, it just makes sense to me that I'm left with 50 grams in my jar and then okay. I can just add 50 of flour, 50 of water in my head. It just makes sense. Sure. So I've made my recipes go along with using hundred grams of starter to start. Okay. And then I've been doing 500 grams of flour. Okay. My last one that wasn't so gummy, I used only 300 grams of water. And so, yes, less water mm, and I got okay. less gumminess. Um, and it was fine, but I don't think I baked it hot enough. I've ex- been exper- I've been experimenting with too many things. <laughs> I do that too. I, I am very guilty of that. And then my, I'm like, I can't remember what I did and I'll turn, it'll turn out well. And my husband's like, do this again. And I'm like, I don't know what I did. <laughs> it was, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how I am with cooking. And I think that's why for me, baking is a hard thing because I've never been much of a baker. Cooking mm. for me is way more fun because you don't have to be precise. But then when it comes to baking, yes. you do. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like a personality thing that I'm having to get over as well. <laughs> for sure. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. But there, that's a good thing to be able to go by feel too. So don't don't take all of that out of yourself. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So... So yeah, the 100 grams of starter, 500 of flour, 300 of water, and then 10 grams of salt. And I baked this one in a Dutch oven Okay. at only 400 or 425 because what I've noticed is that, at least with my starter, it almost doesn't... Oh, well, I also haven't been doing a cold proof either because my starter just does not seem to like it. Like if I put my dough... Yeah in the fridge it is like a pancake after it's baked but if Mm -hmm. i shape it and then instantly put it in the oven it does you know rise um oven spring yes it has good oven spring but it's still kind of gummy okay um i I can't do cold proofs either for some reason i'm the same way like everyone's like oh it's magic and i'm like mine are done they go in the fridge and it's like done yeah um okay yeah well that makes me feel better (laughs) How long are you letting it rise, like the first rise and then the second rise? Well, I really am doing just like one rise. Um, 
It's probably six to eight hours, I would say. I've also okay. been battling that because now that it's getting warmer here, it's, it is rising a lot quicker. Um, okay. I've experimented with letting it rise in my basement too, where it's just mm. a bit cooler. Um, and that seems to be fine, but I don't know, about six to eight hours and then I will turn it out and I will shape it and then I'll put it right in the oven. So I'm not doing the second wow. rise because what I've noticed is that it will, it will just pancake out. Okay. Yeah. So and are you, ba- are you, okay. So you're, when that's interesting, you're not having to use that second rise. Cause like with mine, well, and it depends on my starter. I've had very active starters and not like, I have to, I have to have that second rise to get enough volume in the the loaf because I'll get some oven spring, but not enough to be like edible decent. So you have a really strong starter if you're able to shape and then bake. I think that's a, that's great. Um, you're saying it, it pancakes out. Are you using, um, like, I guess you don't have to put it in a banneton or a a proofing basket because you're going right in the oven. Mm -hmm. So, but you say if you let it sit out, it just flats and then it is flat in the oven. Yeah. I have one of those like oven slings that are made of silicone. And so, I shape it, turn it onto the silicone, and then, yeah, if I would let it sit there, because I have tried that um, to do, like, a, a second rise, even for yeah. just a short period of time, like, even if it's a half hour, it just pancakes and puddles. Okay. Okay. So what I'm thinking, especially when I'm hearing about the pancaking, I think it is a, a too much moisture situation. I think it's a okay. little too much hydration. So I would... I would find a recipe. So there's... I have one on my blog that's a mm-hmm. beginner sourdough. It's it doesn't use weight. It uses volume, which is not as ideal. Okay. However, most like a lot of newbies don't like weight. So you're kind of ahead of the game using grams. I think grams are preferable, but um, it uses volume. However, I, it, it's pretty consistent. So maybe okay. check that out in terms of the ratio of water to flour or another really good resource is um, a book, Emily Rafa. It's what is it called? Simple Artisan Sourdough or something. Let me okay. I'll Google it really fast. Um, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Rafa sourdough. Hold on. I will find it because I want to find the book. It's called Artisan Sourdough Made Simple. And it is just wonderfully simple and no brainer. And I love, she just demystifies it. So I would like grab some of her recipes. She has a blog too, if you wanted to just to try it. Um, and, and try okay. one to see if, how it behaves differently. Cause I, when you do have those higher hydration doughs, that's where you start to get the, the splat dynamic. Now hydration can be good because that's where you get those big holes, right? That's where you get that really nice, mm-hmm. like art, artsy artisan type vibe, but you have to be really mindful in how you're shaping it and also developing the structure in the dough as you go along. And so it might be this balance of, if you are going to go higher hydration, you might need to have it, um, a little more stretching and folding in a different way to get the gluten structure to develop and then okay. baking at that higher temperature to kind of lock it into shape before it has a chance to go flat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that would what be my is best your, guess. I mean, okay. Cause like, obviously all ovens are different, but exactly. What yes. is your magical baking temperature? So again, yes, all ovens are different. And, um, I've done anywhere from 450 to 500 plus. And sometimes you start okay. off really hot and then you reduce it. I think the one on my blog is 450, but most of them that I have played with in the past are around 500. So I would, especially okay. if you're dealing with that, with a little more moisture in your dough, um, uh-huh. I would go hotter and see okay. what happens with that. Uh, okay. yeah. And I like, I think the Dutch oven smart because it does capture 
the steam and it gives it that brick oven dynamic. So I think Dutch mm-hmm. ovens are a great way to bake it. I've never had as much luck putting it on a, like a cookie sheet or a baking stone. Yeah. So okay. you're like, it feels I'm like you're right. You're right there. I think it just with a couple little I changes, know. you'll be <laughs> nailing it. Okay. Well, yeah. that makes me feel better also because you said that your starter doesn't really like that cold proof yeah. either. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you know, you see all the people doing these like beautiful loaves with all the different scoring and everything. And I know that the cold proof would helps that. Yeah. But, you know, for right now, I'm just trying to get something that's reliably edible. <laughs> for sure. Yes. And that's my, that's, this is my best advice that I don't often follow, but I'll give it anyway. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> pick, pick one recipe from one person mm-hmm. and then nail it. So then, cause it, and as annoying as it is to not be able to go, cause there's so many different things to play with. It, if you can nail one technique, then you'll be able to figure out what's working there. And then you can start to extrapolate because I mean, I did it to myself, even this spring, I was reworking one of my cooking courses. I was like, I got to make the sourdough module better. And so I had sourdough by science by Carolee Newman. And I had Emily Rafa's book and I had another one called flower lab by Adam Leonti. And I had, um, I had like five different sourdough books in front of me. And I was like trying to do all of them at the same time. And I was trying to take, Oh, okay, well this guy said this and she said this, so I'm going to put it together. And it was like, I, my brain was spazzing out. And so I'm like, stop it, Jill, you know, better than this. Stop it. I was like, you got to pick one and like figure it out and then start adding in. And so, um, yeah, I think, and like, and there's just still some things like in Adam Leonti's book, Flower Lab, I love it. He's extremely artisan and kind of a purist in what he does. He'll cold proof for days or he'll even rise for days. I can't do that in mine. And maybe it's a fault of my starter. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you just, you'll start to figure out what's working for you. And then also why it doesn't work if you can just stick with one technique. Okay. Yeah. So timing, that's a big part of it too. Cause I mean, I know like this week, like just this morning, we were getting low on the loaf that I made last week. And I really had to like, look at my schedule for the week and decide like, okay, Wednesday's the day that I'm going to have yeah. time in the morning to need and do the proofing and all of that. So like, how do you, how, how do you make it fit into your daily life? That's yeah. a big question, but that is a big, no, that is a good, it's a good question though, because it does have to fit. Um, because most of us aren't just sitting in our kitchens all day long. I mean, I work from home, right. but I'm still like, there's days I'm on calls and where I'm, you know, running yeah. in and out of the office. And so I can't just be babysitting bread. Um, mm-hmm. So my pattern that I follow, and sometimes it depends on if I'm trying a different technique, but for the most part, it kind of fits with this. Um, I will do my first assembling of ingredients around eight o'clock the night before. So my trigger kind of in my mind is as we're putting the kids for to bed and kind of doing our nighttime rituals, I will sneak into the kitchen and I'll just throw the flour, the sourdough and the water in a bowl. Um, sometimes the salt mix it up roughly and I'm doing no need techniques. So I'm literally just mixing it until it's, um, mostly just, incorporated and calling it good. Yeah. yeah. And, and there are some techniques, where you can do the stretch and fold. So I'll mix it. And then a half hour later, like at eight 30, I'll do a stretch and fold and nine o'clock. I'll do a stretch and fold. And then right before I go to bed, I'll do another stretch and fold. And then I cover it and leave it overnight. My house is generally cooler. Uh, in the summertime, mm-hmm. we do have AC and then in the winter we have wood heat. And so my house is hot by the wood stove, but the kitchen's like a little bit cooler. And so it, it doesn't uh-huh. get upset sitting out overnight. And then the next morning, um, when we wake up after I do breakfast, I'll start that next process of shaping it. And then I usually put it in a basket and let it, um, proof in the basket. It depends on the starter. Sometimes it's a couple hours, sometimes it's six or eight hours. It also depends on my day. Like 
because my starter generally isn't out of control. If I get distracted, sometimes I'll leave them in the basket for, you know, a little bit longer than I should and not bake till later in the afternoon. And it rarely hurts the loaf, but yeah. So a couple hours in the basket and then I bake and then we'll have it by mid afternoon. And so, I mean, I guess to someone listening, that sounds like a long process, but it's very little hands-on time and it's so flexible. I like it because if I forget or I get, I have to squish it in a little closer or stretch it out a little bit more, it doesn't hurt the finished product. Okay. So yeah, you let yours proof a long time then. Yeah. Yeah. And, huh. and again, it just depends. I think you have to read your starter. So if you're like you, you said, your starter is really active and happy. Uh, you might need to shorten down some of those times. Okay. Huh? Yeah. Cause what I've been doing is I've been feeding my starter the night before and then in the morning it'll be about, I don't know, six 30 our time here. I will put all my ingredients together and then I'll start doing my version of stretching and folding with the mixer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then, gosh, it's like ready to bake, at least right now during pre-summer. It's ready to bake at like three in the afternoon. Wow. And that's awesome. I think that's it's such really a, this is such a huh. good example of how Sardo, there's really no right way or wrong way. It is such a, yeah. it's more of an art. I mean, there's science to it, yes, but it's really an art and it can change so much. And I think that's why people get frustrated with it. And that's why I was frustrated with it because they're, it's hard to follow an exact formula. Um, right which is kind of the beauty and kind of the frustration. Yeah. One, the humidity levels change in your house too, which I think is probably another thing that's affecting me, the temperatures, but also because it is, you know, we're not running our air constantly because it's not super hot right now, but yeah, there's more, there's more humidity in the air. Okay. Ohio can be pretty muggy, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Like you have a lot. It's been a really weird spring. Like yesterday it rained. I think we got like, probably four or so hours of rain yesterday. And it, that's the first time it's rained in like three weeks, which here in Ohio, that, that's a drought, like three weeks. Mm, and okay. so it was freakishly <laughs> oh dry. Yes. Um, oh my goodness. So I don't know. It's been very strange, but okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So I, all right. Well, you, you're making me feel better that I'm, that I'm close. I think you're really close, honestly. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't need, I mean, you don't have to go with my, yeah, my length of, of rising or my stretching and folding techniques. If you're getting, you're, you're getting real close. I think you might not have to tweak any of that. You might come up mm-hmm. with a whole new, uh, Laura's technique. You can, you know, Laura's <laughs> framework for sourdough, right? Like that's how yeah. I think some of these really great techniques come around where somebody just like pushes the rules a little bit and figure out what's, what works for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what did, like, what did make you get an interest in trying sourdough, like originally, like long time ago, when you first started? Yeah, so I think a a long time ago, it initially started with just the health benefits. um, Because that was my initial awakening, like literally where I was going from the standard American diet to my eyes were opened, and I could see other options. And so that's what initially drove me into it. And that's still a big part of it for me. I think now more the reason that I continue to pursue it is I'm very much a contrarian with um, industrialized food and just the way our culture tells us to live. And so I'm like, no, if I can do it the old fashioned way, if I can do it without having to buy bread or without having to buy commercial yeast, um, then I'm going to do it that way. Cause that just gives me a super charge. And I guess so that to, to me now the health benefits almost secondary, although not really, I still really think it's, a, it's higher quality bread, but like my mm-hmm. latest obsession with sourdough and I've kind of had to take a break this spring well, late spring, cause we got busy. Plus 
I started making cheese and cheese and sourdough bread in the same kitchen struggle because they contaminate each other. So I've mm-hmm. had cheese wheels with yeast and they were growing and it was bad. So I, I'm, I'm a, on a sabbatical with my sourdough right now, but what kind of jump started me this uh, latest round is, okay, I, I know how to use wild yeast, but now I want to, and so I don't have to buy commercial yeast technically anymore. How can I stop having to buy all-purpose flour from this store? And that kind of prompted me into um, whole wheat flours. Once again, I've dabbled in those many times over the years, but I started to get way more serious about it. And also, um, I realized there are certain flours and wheat varieties that are grown in Wyoming. So I was like, oh man, because Wyoming mm-hmm. struggles with farming. Ohio doesn't. We struggle with those sorts <laughs> of things sometimes. So when I had that revelation of like, I, I could actually get locally grown, regionally grown wheat that doesn't have to be shipped across the country. And I could make bread with that. And I could use wild yeast from my, you know, from the yeast in my flour in my air. Like that was just really exciting to me. So I was like on this mission to figure out how I could really master those loaves that are truly local to me versus having mm-hmm. to use inputs from other sources. Yeah. Yeah. Someday that would be super yeah. cool for me to get and into. You'll get there. And that's what I recommend folks. Yeah. You know, you, I guess if you really want to, you could jump in sourdough, hundred percent whole wheat right off the bat. That's a steeper curve. So I, I think what I recommend folks, you know, start with the white flowers, get that starter figured out with those that are more consistent, then roll into the freshly ground just because, well, even just whole wheat from the store, whole wheat flour from the store and then freshly ground, because like the variability is so huge. Um, depends on how coarse you're grinding it and what variety of wheat berry and what the protein content is and, um, you know, what the temperature is when you're grinding it and how much it weighs. And so there's a lot more to play with. And so it's really best to have that understanding of the starter first and your, your main framework before you start to get crazy with it. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm on a, I'm on a good path. You are on um, a good path. <laughs> yeah. I got into sourdough for the same reasons too, because I, so I'm a personal trainer. That's oh, like awesome. my, that's yeah. my like outside the homestead job. And, you know, so I came from a world where bread was illegal <laughs> right. to eat. And yes. then I, you know, I completely gave it up. And I also have, um, like a, a thyroid autoimmune issue. And so I was trying to completely stay away from gluten for that reason. Yes. But yeah, that's when I was eating, you know, conventional bread or whatever, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then once I finally tried sourdough for the first time, not that I had made, but you know, from the store, from like a local bakery here, I was amazed at how it just, it didn't bother me. And so Mm. that's why I became obsessed with sourdough. And now it's almost like I view a piece of sourdough bread every day as like a vitamin in a way because it truly makes my digestion so much better. Yes. And it's just, it's so strange to see like the complete 180 from being over here thinking bread's the devil. Yes. <laughs> and then now it's like eggs where I need to eat them every day or I don't feel like right. Right. I love yeah. I I love when I, I hear people that... Did they had to swear that they thought they had to swear off bread and then yeah. they can open that back up. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so you have a book coming out soon, right? I do. Yes. Tell us about that. I'm excited to hear about it. 
Yeah. So it's called Old Fashioned On Purpose. And it's actually not a how-to book. Everyone's like, is it a cookbook? I'm like, no, it's not. This is more of a philosophy book. Um, but it's kind of, it just dives deep into some of these concepts we talked today in terms of, you know, what did we do before industrialization told us otherwise? Whether we're talking about food, like how did our ancestors eat bread? What what did we do before we were told that Wonder Bread and Sara Lee was the only way to go? Like, because we're so <laughs> pigeonholed as a culture, we're like, this is the only way. I'm like, no, no, no. There was like many thousands of years of human history telling us otherwise. And so it dives deep into those concepts and then just kind of distills down a lot of these homestead ideals into more bigger principles that people can take and apply to their world, no matter where they live. Because, you know, I love homesteading. I believe in homesteading. I also know that not everyone can have 60 acres and a milk cow in Wyoming, right? This is like not doable for the whole world. And so I'm like, how can we take the best of this lifestyle that you and I love so much and bring it to a larger populace? And so that was kind of the impetus for the book. And it was a fun project. It was a long project, but I'm excited for it to hit the shelves. That sounds awesome. So then what it like, why did you become a, you know, homesteader, quote unquote, way back when way back when? Yeah. Um, You know, I kind of stumbled into it. And I think honestly, it it seemed almost like these happy accidents. But I knew I think it was my subconscious really kind of pulling me into it. But I had always been a horse girl. Um, I was like the, one of the weird horse girls, you know, that like neighed and like ran around and galloped and stuff. So that was me <laughs> See, as a child. Horses scare me because they're so big. They they're are big. big. Animals. And they're they, uh, they can be scary for sure. But I have a, one of those weird obsessions with them. And so I just married my husband. We had a few horses and we just had this weird desire that I couldn't articulate. I'm like, I just don't want to live like everyone else. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to like fall into this prescription right now where we, now we got married. Now we buy the house in town. We get the white picket fence. We have 2.5 kids in the minivan and that's okay for a lot of people. I'm not saying that's wrong, but for me, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something different. And I didn't know what it was. I, I wasn't brave enough to really push into that, but I did know I needed land for the horses. And so our first house ended up being a fixer upper because we were also newlyweds with not a lot of money. So we had to go buy something really affordable, a really rough fixer upper way out of town, like 40 minutes from town with land for our horses. And so and I rationalize it as, oh, we bought it for horses. But then as we signed on the dotted line and we started to move in, I'm like, what if it became something else? Like what, it could, what if it could be more productive? And what if I could create in this blank slate of a property. And I'd never had those thoughts like that before. And they just like grabbed me and I was just wild eyed excited. And so didn't know what it meant yet. Homesteading really wasn't a thing. People weren't using that. Online world was not developed like it is now. YouTube wasn't really around. And so I was, I felt like this pioneer, like, what does this mean? And why am I so obsessed with this? And so we built the compost pile and we put in the gardens and the chickens and the goats came a few years later and the milk cows. And um, it became this journey that I realized it was kind of like the thing I'd been missing. And, you know, long story short, fast forward to today, here we are. And now it's like a whole movement, but it was yeah. very much, I feel like just like that subconscious pull right from the beginning. Yeah. So you felt something deeper that you needed to, yeah, just to be different in a way to create. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that the desire to be a producer, um, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of us feel, I think that's why the homesteading movement is growing, especially in a culture that is so geared towards consumption at all costs. Right. I think that we're feeling that missing piece and that's why so many are jumping on board. Yeah. Well, I feel like it also just gives a sense of purpose too, in a way, you know, when you see something that you created or you grew, or, you know, the first time you make a meal with all produce that you grew out of your own garden, there's a sense of pride that like, you can't, you can't get anywhere 
else, really. Yes. It's just, you know, and it's, yeah, it's self-sufficiency, but it's also just, I don't know, a connection with nature too. I know that's Uh, why me and my husband love this. I mean, we fell in love with it, I think originally because of the food, because we're, we we just love to eat. <laughs> Same. Cook. Yep. I love and the food. The food tastes better. So much. <laughs> you yes. <know? laughs> yes. But then it's just, it's a, it's a deeper connection to nature. You know, I love being in touch with the seasons. You know, I mean, out there in Wyoming, your seasons are probably way more crazy than ours. They're a little intense, but yeah. <laughs> but same concept. I do love yeah. being in the elements instead of just watching them from a window. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also just like the ebb and flow of like your busy times and how, you know, you're just go, go, go in the garden. And then once winter comes, you get a a chance to finally take a break and be more introspective. I think, yeah, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful way of living. So I'm glad that your book is making those concepts just more just reachable and less. Yeah. I feel like our culture needs it right now, especially, you know, I think it was happening before COVID, but I think COVID really exacerbated it where people started to really feel, kind of question and go, what's, what's this? Why, why do we feel so unmoored and so shaky and um, so yeah. volatile? And I, I think it's a really, it's really good timing for this. I'm glad, I'm glad we have the internet, honestly, as much as I sometimes hate the internet and social media because there's, you know, blessing and a curse, but I'm yeah. really glad that it's there that people can connect and realize that whatever they're feeling, that sense for deeper meaning, that pull towards more responsibility, like they're not alone. And it's not weird. It's not crazy. um, And it's worth pursuing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that is beautiful. So when does your book come out? September 26th. um, But people can pre-order it now. And if they go to oldfashionedbook.com, I have a ton of pre-order bonuses. We even have a sourdough guide, actually. Kind of my no-nonsense sourdough um, PDF. They'll they'll get that for free when they pre-order. So a bunch of goodies over there. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You have given me... A lot of like encouragement and then also good advice. Um, so I do have a question though. If somebody was like just brand, brand new starting out with sourdough, I know you said to like stick with a recipe and master it. Yes. But do you have any other advice for someone who likes just is going to start tomorrow and do it? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is just dive in. Don't overthink it. Also limit your Googling because like we talked about, there are, everyone has a different technique, right? And you will drive yourself nuts trying to standardize all the techniques into one. Pick one from someone you trust and stick with it. All-purpose flour. I know it's really attractive to think about the whole grain flours. Wait on that until you've understood the yeast dynamic. Um, and then I would say don't quit on the starter, especially if you're you're starting with flour and water, which is a great way to start. You don't have to start with a pre-made starter, although if you can, that's fa- fantastic. But um, don't quit on it too soon. And don't expect instant results. So sometimes it's four or five days before you finally start seeing bubbles really consistent. And sometimes it goes through a little lull period after that. And then sometimes you have to even wait another week or two beyond that to start using it in bread. So this is a long, a long game and just be willing to ride that out and don't rush it. I I get people emailing me, you know, three days and they're like, I think I'm going to throw the starter away because it's just not bubbling. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like give it time. It needs to develop. And so it gets better with age. So um, don't overthink. You start with white flour. There's no shame in that. And then be patient. All right. Good words of wisdom. Well, thank you very much, Jill. I'm going to put all of the links um, to so people can learn more about you and your book in the show notes. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. Was, thank you so uh, much, Jill, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. Yeah. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to share more in my journey, follow me on Instagram at the Girly Homesteader.